I pray that you'd make us worshipers every day. Beyond Sunday, Lord, may our lives be a song that brings glory to your name, pleasure to your heart, and a witness to the lost, and unity to our homes and our relationships, and prosperity to everything we put our hands to, for your glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Can we show our appreciation to the Holy Spirit for the presence of God. Thank you so much. Luke, the 19th chapter. It says, Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Notice he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd where he was, because of the crowd, for he was of small stature. In children's church, we used to sing, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he, remember? He climbed up in a sycamore tree for Jesus he wanted to see. And you get to that point where Jesus looked at him and said, Come down! And all the kids go, Come down! Sorry, I just had a flashback there. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, either Jesus had a word of knowledge or Zacchaeus had a reputation. We don't know. We know he was not liked. He wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And he wasn't just a chief tax collector. He was a rich chief tax collector. You know, when you see the IRS agent driving a Rolls Royce, that would bother you, wouldn't it? Not only was he a rich chief tax collector, he was a dishonest rich chief tax collector. Not only that, he was a wee little man. So he was an outsider, basically. Uh, a lot of cultures of the world pick on little people. There's names they call them. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, hurry up, and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down out of the sycamore tree and received him joyfully. So Jesus goes to his house. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Aren't you glad Jesus goes to the house of sinners? There would not be any of us here today if he did not fellowship with sinners. Some of the people with some of the world's worst reputations are in church today because Jesus has done a work and is doing a work in our lives. Are you glad about it? Amen. We don't know what happened in there, but Zacchaeus' life was changed by virtue of what happened next. And we know from reading the teachings of Jesus, he talked about being honest, he talked about being uh, forgiving. No doubt Zacchaeus had some things to forgive of people that had harmed him. He talked about loving your enemies, he talked about paying your bills and and restoring. He was all about restoring lives. Verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give 
half my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. So he promises the Lord to give half of his prosperity to the poor. So, if there's anybody he made poor by virtue of his tax collecting, they're going to get a blessing from him. If there's anybody made poor by virtue of him committing a crime of libel against them or filing false papers against them or lying on them, slandering them, he was going to restore what they had lost by, from him four times. He was going to turn their loss into a blessing. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus' purpose in coming was to reach out to the lost sheep of Israel first. And then, as his kingdom began to be established, they were to reach out to those who were not Israelites. And in so doing, he blessed many Gentiles through his ministry. He never turned anybody away that came to him. But Jesus came with a purpose, and part of his purpose was to do this in Zacchaeus' life. He healed bodies everywhere he went. He restored relationships, and he gave commands that established his kingdom. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to take care of business. Can we say taking care of business? Verse 11. Now, as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So this is on the eve of Palm Sunday. As he goes to Jerusalem, they're going to try to crown him king. They're going to praise him and glory, glorify him. And, of course, this is going to lead to his crucifixion. Therefore, he said, he told this parable because the kingdom of God wasn't going to be in its fullness immediately. And this parable illustrates that. Verse 12, he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. Verse 14, His citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Verse 15, And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading, by taking care of business. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. Now, mina in the King James Version is called a pound. It's basically, I think, a pound of silver. So your pound of silver is now ten pounds. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you are faithful in very little. Have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, You also be over five cities. So he gives them more authority. From one mina to ten mina to ten cities. From one mina to five mina to five cities. Then another came, verse 20, saying, Master, here is your mina, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. For I feared you, because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit, 
and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. You knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to him who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Verse 26 again. I say to you, everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, you take that verse out of context, it can be concerning, but you put it in the context, basically what he's saying is everyone who takes care of business will be given more business. And everyone who doesn't take care of business will lose what little business they have. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Taking care of business. Jesus, being about his father's business, ministered reconciliation to Zacchaeus. People not caring for the Father's business were critical and did not understand. People basically are self-centered, right? And on our journey as Christians, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God are at work, and our brothers and sisters are at work either consciously or unconsciously to conform us to the image of the Son of God, where the things of God become primary. Now reconciled to God, Zacchaeus planned to reconcile with those he had harmed. He began to take care of business. Out of love, he was going to take care of business wherever he was responsible. Now, where I'm drawing my main text today is verse 13. It says, He called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. The King James Version translates that do business till I come as occupy. Can we say occupy? Occupy till I come. The literal uh, translation says trade or do trade till I come. And the Message Bible says operate uh, in business until I come. This occupying till I come, I think, is crucial in this day and hour when people want to set dates for when the Lord's return. I understand our man did not repent. He just reset another date. Oh, I was wrong in math. Uh, His math may be okay. His theology sucks. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour. He also said in Luke, beware of those who say the time has drawn near. Oh, but aren't we, aren't we supposed to watch? Yes, we are supposed to watch, but we're not supposed to set our watches. So we're to occupy until he returns. In this story, Jesus is the one who's the nobleman. And we are the servants. And our nobleman has entrusted to us part of his business. And he has left and sent back the Holy Spirit with gifts to empower us to take care of his business, to do his deal. And one day he's coming back. It will be judgment day. One day he's coming back and we will be rewarded for our level of obedience in what he did to us. It's like he planted the seed, we water the seed. And the Holy Spirit gives the increase. He gave us the mina, he gave us the talents, he gave us the opportunities, and our duty is to do something with it. 
you know, if we did know the day and the hour when the Lord was to return, to, to take that information and use it as a reason to abuse your credit cards and to go see the Grand Canyon, I mean, that's missing the point. That is not taking care of business, is it? Understanding the parable of the minas. Jesus is a nobleman who departs to receive more authority. Remember, before he left, he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And he ascended and received a name that is above every name. So that part of the, the parable is being fulfilled, has been fulfilled. And we are his servants entrusted to do business for him while he is away. If we are faithful to take care of his business in his absence, we will be rewarded. If we are not faithful, we will lose what he has entrusted to us and we will not be rewarded. And the rejecting citizens in the world, that's the unbelieving world that hates God, are a picture of the unbelieving world destined to be judged. That's the meaning of the parable. I mean, you can check out all the commentaries. It's that simple. Jesus is a nobleman. We are the servants entrusted with his riches to do business with those in his absence. One day he is returning. Let's apply this parable. Jesus ascended to receive all authority, and he is returning, although we do not know when. We have been entrusted with doing his business in his place, that is, continuing his ministry. And we are to be occupied with doing Jesus' business faithfully until he returns. And we will be rewarded, and those who are not faithful will not be rewarded. And those who are rebellious against Christ's authority will be judged severely. Didn't you just say that three times? Yes, I did. Repetition is the mother of learning. I don't want anyone to leave here not understanding this simple parable. The question for us today is, are we taking care of Jesus' business? What is his business? The angel Gabriel told what his business was when he came to minister to Joseph, who was in a state of shock. And he said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When Jesus was 12, his parents didn't understand, and in a conversation with him when he disappeared in Jerusalem to go and debate with those in the temple, he said, Do you not know that I must be about my Father's business? As a Son of God, he was sent. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but could have everlasting life. So he came to seek and to save the lost sheep of Israel. In his hometown, he goes, to, he goes to synagogue one Sabbath morning and opens up Isaiah to chapter 61 and reads these verses and says, This is me. And, of course, they reject him. And this was his mission. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And he closed the book and says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then basically he had to run for his life. <laughs> they were going to kill him early and he wasn't ready yet. If you read the entire chapter of Isaiah 61, it is an amazing thing. He came to give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the oil of joy for mourning. He came to bring transformation. We have a part to do in that. In John 4, he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John 9, he says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. 
And then I love this. John 14, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. What, was, what, what were we doing today by praying for people with their needs? We were doing the works of Jesus. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit in, a, in us helps us to pray for things that we don't know how to pray. And, and there were people that received wisdom today. They already received it. Other people are waiting on, a, on the fulfilling of what they've been asking for. These are the things the church is to do. We're to continue his business. What is our part in continuing his business? In Matthew 28, the Great Commission Scriptures, he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Bab- Let's say all the nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In Mark, he said these words, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Maybe you've been baptized, but you didn't believe. You just got wet. Baptism is for believers. Amen. In Luke, he said, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. But before you begin, he tells them what to do. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he told them to wait on. In Acts 8, Luke records this, where Jesus says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the Father's business. To take the good news of His kingdom and spread it to the world. So His business isn't just to see how rich you can get and claim that you're His kid. That falls far short. His kids are going to be blessed. But that isn't our purpose. Our purpose is this. And He blesses us along the way as we pursue seeing the good news spread around the world. In Matthew 24, talking about latter times, he says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Mark 13.10, The gospel must first be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. So how are we doing as a people? How are we doing in spreading the gospel, in taking care of his business? Well, first, let's just find out how the world's doing. Uh, the world's population today is, is over 6 billion, but it didn't reach 1 billion until 1804. Then in 1960, 156 years later, the number tripled to 3 billion people. Then in 1999, 39 years after that, the world's population doubled to 6 billion in 39 years. There will soon be more people alive on the earth in our day, than the total number of people who have ever lived. Isn't that amazing? Now, when the Lord gave these command and these promises and this commission, He knew the world was going to increase. It makes His promise look that much more impossible, right? But God loves to do stuff in a big way. 
You know, pour more water on that sacrifice, Elisha. In 1999, one-third of everyone who had come to Christ since he ascended had done so in the previous ten years. So there's been an acceleration. In 1999, a third of everyone who had ever come to Christ in history had done so in the previous ten years. Each week, an estimated one million people accept Christ as Lord and Savior. There will soon be more believers alive in our day than all believers in history who have ever been saved. In China, Korea, and Japan, over 100 million Christians are praying. There's more Christians than that, but over 100 million of them have become prayer warriors. About that same number... Uh, exist in Malaysia, Singapore, the Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Myanmar, India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan, learning to pray with fervency. We've got a lot to learn from the nations of the world about prayer. There's about 80 million praying Christians in New Caledonia, New Zealand, Australia, and Indonesia. And observers estimate the Christian community in the world's largest Muslim nation has reached 20%. That's kind of an official count, although some think it's over 50% in the world's largest Muslim nation are already Christians. Google Indonesian revival. You will see some amazing reports. In Tanzania, Kenya, and Ethiopia, approximately 75 million people are people of prayer. The church in Ethiopia has grown from 50% of their population to 60% in the last 10 years. The Christian population in Nigeria has grown in the last decade from 50% to 60% in the last 10 years. Each month, that country hosts an all-night prayer meeting that's attended by over a million people all night long. In Brazil, the Christian population has grown from 15% to 30% in the last 10 years. The praying church in Iran is amazing. In 1979, there were 3,000 believers in Iran. Today, there's 3 million. Yep. We've got to pray for them because they are under persecution. And finally, every day, another 74,000 people across the globe come to faith in Christ. That's 3,000 new believers every hour of the day. Sounds like Pentecost to me, doesn't it? Now, here's the challenge before us. 55,000 people every day die in India, most of whom have never even heard the name Jesus. So the challenge is still huge. So in your supporting, through your prayers and your finances of world missions, you're doing something good with your minus. I don't think... Christian TV is the fulfillment of the gospel being preached in all the world. So what if the gospel hits every globe in the form of airwaves, but the people don't have TVs with satellite dishes, and it's not in their language, it doesn't do any good anyway. Can Christian TV have a part to play in world evangelism and discipleship? Definitely, absolutely. can have a part. But it is not the answer. Send your $10 a month to Reverend Billy Bob and he'll do, he'll do business for you. 
That's, you know, you're going to lose a reward if you depend on Reverend Billy Bob to do your business. You have a job to do that you've been entrusted with a mina. There's something in the kingdom of God that only you and I can do. We can do stuff together, but there's things individually that only our family can do. What is that? Pray, and he'll show it to you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, and I believe this is to us, you are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill, on a hill cannot be hidden. No one takes a lamp and puts it under a bushel, but they put it up somewhere where the light can benefit the most. You don't light a lamp and then put it in your closet. If you light a lamp, it's to benefit others. And so the light that we are is to benefit more than just our house. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So in our good works, preaching the gospel everywhere and when necessary using words, we do it for the glory of God, not like this guy. He's in it for his own glory. So shine, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Taking care of business. We all have an assignment. And yet I know that we live in a culture that is permeated with consumerism. Church easily becomes a place that falls in with that. To give a good religious show, a good religious spiritual experience so that you can go home and you've done your Christian thing for the week. Well, I've done the God thing. But saints, it's got to get beyond the walls of the church. So I'm going to challenge us. And for those that already do this, please 
keep in mind there are those of us that don't. But I want to just do something a little unique, and then we're going to end. How about one act of kindness a day? A significant act of kindness. I mean, it's not just picking up bubble gum off the street, but an act of kindness for someone else where God gets all the glory. Not telling you what it has to be, but who would seek to do for the next seven days? Don't wait till Saturday night. Oh, no, I forgot. But just one a day. Who would seek to do, as the Lord helps you, and we'll remind one another, one act of kindness where God gets all the glory for the next week? Who would seek to do that? It could be as simple as paying for the meal of the person behind you in, in the drive through line at McDonald's. Well, what if the car behind me is a Lexus? That's fine. They may pass the favor on to the person behind them. We're to let his light shine to whoever. It could be that simple or something really elaborate or whatever. But who, who will do it? Just one other show of hands. All right, just keep your hands up. All right, Lord, we're not looking around, but you see. And we ask you, Lord, to remind us Lord, may this, may this thing go viral in our community. In Jesus' name, in our church, Lord, may 2011 be a taste of heaven in the summer in Granbury. In Jesus' name, help us, Lord, to be faithful to do your business. Lord, help us to be that army that you're raising up to show your love to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, soldiers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may He empower you and use you mightily to share His love everywhere. And may some of your acts of kindness lead to conversations with others where they'll either receive the Lord or they'll receive a motivation to also show His love to others. Lord, forgive us for being consumers. Help us, Lord, to become servants of the kingdom. Thank you, Lord, for what you've entrusted to us. Help us, Lord, to be about our Father's business. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go get them, tigers.